You are now tuning in to the Bodybuilding Lifestyle Podcast, the number one source for unfiltered truth in bodybuilding with your host, Elon Muscular. The Bodybuilding Lifestyle Podcast is sponsored by Elon Muscular Private Coaching. There's a huge issue with online coaching today. Cookie cutter plans, unattentive coaches, and an industry saturated with misinformation. If you're looking for a bodybuilding coach that will be on your ass about getting results, and make sure you tick all the boxes every day with daily check-ins, unlimited text access, and quarterly video consults and progress reports, then Elon Muscular Coaching is for you. All the guys on Team Muscular are my personal friends and I'm proud to build a relationship with every client in order to best hold them accountable to their goals. If this sounds interesting to you, reach out to me to book a free discovery call to see if coaching is right for you. Now let's get right into the episode. What is up, guys, and welcome to episode 13 of the Bodybuilding Lifestyle Podcast. I'm here with Kate Zook, an IFBB pro. The reason that I got Kate on the podcast is because I listened to a couple other podcasts that he was from, and I really like that. He's a super honest, straightforward guy. He talks about practical application and doesn't really try to bullshit, beat around the bush. He has seems like he has like a super hardcore approach. So I want to ask him about bodybuilding stuff that I have questions about and also about the lifestyle side of it because he just got his pro card and you know with everything going on in the world it's a little confusing on where bodybuilding is at so just pick his brain about his plans for the future so welcome to the podcast Cade. what's up man thanks for having me cool so let's just jump right into the x's and o's i know that <sighs> i heard a couple other podcasts where you were talking about like your cycles and you're very open with it i think that the people who watch this podcast will be really interested to know like how a pro trains, eats, and obviously sets up their cycles to make gains long-term. So if you had to say like, what is a typical off-season cycle for you, maybe 10 years ago when you started versus today at like 300 pounds? Uh, when I first started, I don't really, I don't even remember what I was, I don't think I used test until the first time until I was probably around 22 or 23. I think before that I was just doing like DECA and like D-ball, just, you know what I mean? Just the basic stuff so long ago. Um, it was, it's always been very basic, you know what I mean? GH was never in the equation until probably, probably about it, almost 10 years in, because I just couldn't, didn't want, I didn't really know about it. Where I live at, man, there's just, it's not really a hot spot for bodybuilding, you know what I mean? So, I mean, no one's made it as far as I've made it in bodybuilding around here there's a couple of figure people maybe in the men's physique but no one's done it bodybuilding so there's not a whole lot of knowledge i didn't get a lot of knowledge till i started working with like shelby starnes and john meadows and matt jansen and stuff then i started learning a lot more because it's around here like i said there's nothing but now now a typical off season would be 750 to a thousand test and then eq or deck or EQ NPP usually something like that something really basic and simple and then obviously like four IUs five IUs of DH stuff like that uh, very simple very basic stack. So nowadays, and since you kind of put GH in, and nowadays I know that you said that you keep it in all the time. 
right? Uh, do you ever take time off GH or what? Uh, this is, is your... the first time I've ever, I'm, I'm, I've been off of everything except for tests. I'm on, right now I'm on 200 milligrams of tests. And I think it's 15 weeks next week. And um, I've, I've used no GH during this whole entire thing. And I can definitely tell, you know, because even whenever, even when I would cruise in the past, it would be like 300 milligrams of tests, which is not really cruising. And then like two, three, I use a GH. You see what I'm saying? Just to kind of like, I don't know, because you don't realize how much something so small, like two or three I use do, but it makes a huge difference. And uh, so this time I've decided not to do anything at all. Just, just the test. And I can definitely tell with the fullness, like my weight is still pretty solid. Like I weighed like 305 the other day. And um, usually I'd probably hover around like 315. So, but the 300 is not the same composition, 300 as it would be on GH. So that's the, that's the main thing I notice. but this is the first time I've never not used GH in the longest time for sure. So I think that a lot of people are confused about like really, especially a lot of people that watch this podcast that are interested in just bodybuilding on a lifestyle application are confused about like what, what GH really adds to the equation because a lot of people can't afford it or they've been like messing around with generics for a long time. What is your opinion on generic versus pharma? A GH, I guess, just to settle that debate. Um, I guess it would just depend on what kind of GH or generic GH you got. I mean, there's some that are obviously better than others. You can never tell and they're all hit or miss, but off season, I wouldn't, I wouldn't really care too much about generic or pharma, but pre-contest I'm, I'm probably like a bit of a snob when it comes to that. And I would prefer, like if I was doing eight IUs of GH or something for competition, I would, I would at least to save money, I would probably do like four I use a farm and like four I use a, G, a generic stuff like that. There, there is a big difference. Um, it's mostly like water retention that I've noticed that the generic is, is probably a little more, I don't, I don't know what they have in it. I mean, it could be however they make it or whatever, but it makes you definitely seem like it hold a little bit more water. And whenever I'm on like, like a humotrope or a serostim, it seems like the look is a little bit more, just muscular and, and, and rounder, but it could be because I'm dieting as well. So I don't really know, but I prefer to just use the pharma while I do prep. It doesn't really make a difference to me in the off season. Okay. So if it doesn't make a difference in the off season, then why do like half pharma, half generic? Why not just do generic? Cause it's so much cheaper. Just cause it's like in my head, it's the same thing with like anti-estrogens. There's, there's obviously probably good anti-estrogens out there that are made by peptide companies. But for some reason, if I'm getting ready for a competition, like the th the two things I really care about would be like an anti-estrogen being like a pharmaceutical, like a uh, legit brand or, or um, GH. And I just feel like if I'm getting ready, if I was trying to turn pro, which I was, um, I feel like it just put me at a better position to have the things being real that I knew they were real. You know what I mean? Cause in the off season, you're eating a lot of calories. I'm not, I'm not missing workouts. I'm not missing meals. So it's like, plus you're taking, you know, a thousand tests and DECA and all that stuff like that. So you're going to be big and strong and well-fed anyway. You know what I mean? So the GH is not as key to me as it is during prep. I noticed that like with a lot of pros, 
from a lot of interviews that I've listened to and a lot of conversations that I've had recently, like the difference between an amateur or like someone that just does it for a hobby and a pro is usually not the, the dose of anabolics. Cause all the pros usually say like a gram to a gram and a half of test anabolics, like anywhere between six to 800 for an off season. And then the pre-cons is always the same stuff. Right. But the, I noticed that the growth hormone dosages for the pros are usually like, they'll say, you know, up to 10, 15 I use. Whereas most people who don't take it so seriously, I feel like they just never get up there because it's not worth the financial investment. So they never actually get to see the difference that the growth makes with the same amount of anabolics. What difference would you say that like, what's the difference would you say between no growth, you know, four I use or like eight to 10 I use of, of pharma during a prep? No growth at all opposed to the pharma? I don't know. I mean, I'm not going to say it make, well, I guess it does. It, it's all depends on your genetics too and your, and your consistency and your work ethic. But I mean, like it's, it's definitely going to, like I know a guy who's a friend of mine who's never touched GH in his life and he's big and full and round. And that's like the next step for him, but he's not ready for it now because he don't need it because he's responding so well. And, but when he does, it would be very scary because he has that type of physique, that type of where he responds to just, he's just a hyper responder. I mean, and I think it may, it makes the most difference to guys like that. Um, like Akeem Williams, I believe I heard somewhere online a long time ago, because Akeem, I don't know if you remember, I don't know how much you keep up with bodybuilding, but he was a light heavyweight in at junior nationals one year that he did it before he turned pro a few years later. But people said that that's because Akeem was hardly on using anything, and then he used GH, and then he just blew up. He's just a freak. Plus, he obviously lives so heavy, but he's just a hyper responder. There's just guys like that. And then there's a normal, an average guy like probably me, who's the difference between four and ten is probably not going to be super crazy noticeable. I mean, even whenever I've, I've used GH at high doses, is I don't think I get the same effects as someone else uh, as like a hyper responder. Like the guy I'm talking, my buddy I'm talking about. Like if he used ten, I use a GH, it'd be stupid. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? And if you use four, it'd be stupid. But I think it just depends on the person too. And I'm not saying it's good to run it all year round, but I definitely came off of it for like three or four, five weeks at a time, not very long, because it was in my head that I had to take it. And it always made me like a little bit leaner. So I just liked the way I felt and looked off of it. Do you feel like as a bodybuilder, you know, especially like once you're taking it super seriously, you're going for your pro card and stuff like that. It just becomes like a habitual like use sort of thing. It's like I could not take GH or not as much. Maybe it wouldn't make that big of a difference. I'm not sure, but I just really want to cover all my bases. Like, would you say think, that? You can yeah, I think that some guys and I can just speak for myself, but like now that I've already accomplished that goal, I don't feel like I have to take it. You see what I'm saying? Because even if I were to do a pro show, I'm not going to, I'm not probably not going to win. Like, you know what I mean? No matter how sick I look, that the level is just that, that next level is just that hard. So like I have a peace of mind now, like, I've accomplished my main goal. So I'm like, I could kind of back off of it. But at, before I got that main goal, it was like, and any days that I don't do this, I'm not saying that's the right way to think. I'm just saying that's how I thought any days that I, that I miss if some guys will say i'll do five days on two days off in my head i'm like well seven days is better than five days so it just it, it made me feel like i got me closer to my goal i'm not saying that's the way to, the way to do it but we, we all get in like a crazy mindset when we're trying to achieve a, a certain goal 
And, and now that I've got it, I, I kind of got like a peace of mind about it. And I'm, I'm very realistic. So um, I'm like, well, six, 15, 16 weeks, I'm, I'm fine. You know, I would have probably never done that had I been chasing that card. Yeah, so I, think, I, think, I think that's how it goes with most bodybuilders. And what I've found is that it seems to be a lot easier for people to maintain the size that they've built on lower milligrams after they've already built the size. Um, how long do you think you could go on 200 milligrams at 300 pounds, like before you start to shrink down? Like, you think you can keep that? I mean, up? like, I think, like, so it's been almost 15 weeks. So I was thinking about 16 total. And um, I got to do blood work next week. And if, if everything's fine in my blood work, then, you know, I'll go from there. But I'm, even now, I'm like, even, even recently, my mindset has changed so much. I'm like, man, if I can hold this weight and this look on 200, I'm like, then why would I need to do 1,000? So I'm like, maybe I'll just do 500 tests. And maybe I'll just do like 150 in PP. And then like 300 of Primo or something like that. And then four I use a GH. Because it, it, it's taken me almost 16 weeks and I'm still holding 305, 306. But like when I came off, I was like 317. So it's taken me that long to just lose like 12 pounds almost. You know what I'm saying? So it's like in my head, I'm just like, I don't think, I think I could hold it for a little, uh, you know, probably, you know, 10 more weeks, but I'd probably start getting into the two nineties. Um, you definitely can't hold it for forever, but for with years of training and I don't miss meals and I don't miss workouts. Even now I'm still eating six times a day, no matter what never changes in my I workout every day that I'm supposed to. So I think that makes a big difference obviously as well. Do you think that a, like every bodybuilder needs to go through a phase of pushing it in order to get bigger? Because I see a lot of guys right now, like advocating like very low dose, like stuff and growing off that and saying, you know, you can just use food and training as the primary driver of growth. And uh, like, do you think that somebody can keep the drugs like super low and get big over time, just slowly increasing them? Like, or do you think that there needs to be a point where you like shock your body into new growth by upping things? I don't really think you need to use that many drugs. I've never, I mean, I'm not, a, I was never a big drug user. The most drugs I ever used were contest prep. You know what I'm saying? Like I, I've, I personally know guys doing two grams of tests right now and they're not even that big. It's just, it's, I never, like I was always paranoid of, of side effects and things like that. And in my head, I always saw the scale moving up. So I was like, well, I don't, why do I need to do more? So, but I, but I think these guys are doing that for health reasons, which is obviously okay and justifiable, but I don't think you're, you're going to see me as a mass monsters like you used to see in this next generation of bodybuilders. So like once the guys that are pro now kind of fade away, like 10, 20 years from now, I think pro bodybuilders are going to have a completely different look. I mean, you're going to have a few that are still that, that hardcore guys, but that big, like it used to be, you know what I mean? Um, I, I think a lot of people's mindsets have changed and there's been a lot of deaths and there's been a lot of things happen to people. So and with social media, it's, you see it all now. So you get a little bit more scared, uh, fear in your head and, um, and that's normal. And I, I think social media will, will be a big uh, reason for the demise of the mass monsters and bodybuilding that's you know that's kind of what i'm i'm trying to do like just get an honest perspective out on multiple sides of the coin like have people like you who are 300 pounds on to talk about you know how you got there and a lot of people might think that it, it was very dangerous to get to 300 pounds 
But um, I just feel like nowadays the mentality of like getting bigger and being a 300 pound mass monster, people are scared of that. So that's why it's starting to move in the other direction, kind of like you said, but not all guys who get up there really have like really bad health issues, right? No, I have no health issues. And I've been 300 pounds so long. It's like my body has reached like a level of homeostasis on it. So it's like when I look in the mirror, I don't see 300 pounds. I see like, damn, I look like I'm only about 275, 280 because <laughs> I've just kind of, you know, molded to that look. And, uh, and plus, I mean, you know, I'm six foot three. So when I started bodybuilding, my first competition, I was a teenager. I think I weighed in at 205. And before, like I had, but man, I always was, was taught by, first of all, by magazines and then the, the guys that I learned from in person um, that you just got to freaking eat. And I just saw protein. I didn't care about what it was. I go to Walmart and I would buy groceries. And if something had high protein, I would buy it. Uh, and I would just eat and eat and eat. And you could, I mean, you could ask anyone who knows me in this and like personally that I do not miss meals. Never. It doesn't matter. It's more important to me than, you know, whatever I got going on as far as like, I'm, I'm, I'm never going to like miss an event, but I'm always going to have my food with me. Like if we go to movies, the movies, uh, I'm going to find out what time the movie plays and I'm going to just bring the meal with me to that movie. Like, that's just how I've always been. And, you know, even when we went to, I went to Florida to watch my friend compete in nationals this past November, I'm not actively competing and the other guys there are, I'm the only one that sent food down. You know, I ordered mega fit and I sent 20 meals down because I just have to, I'm just that way. So my mindset has always been that way since 18 years old when I did my first show, never to miss a meal. So I don't think the drugs are, you know, that's why I've never done a lot of drugs because I've never missed a meal or a workout. Like, Never. It doesn't not change. You know what I'm saying? Well, I think it's, I think it's important to, you know, make the distinction of like what really is a lot of drugs. You know what I mean? Some people would say that like a gram of test and 200 MPP and 500, you know, EQ is, is a lot. And really other, not. It's not a lot in, ter in terms of like how big you are, like, you know, how getting to that size, what a lot of guys do who are smaller than that or the same size. But still, a lot of people would think, you know, that's that's a lot for a guy who like is taking TRT or or if you're talking to a guy who's doing his first cycle, that's just doing 500 milligrams test or something like that to think about the jump from that to like. And I, I'm just trying to say that it is a lot because I think that is like really the most that anybody should consider taking. So like, you know what I mean? Like no one should really be going above that point because it's just not really going to help. It's not necessary, but well, the reason I say it's not a lot is because there's guys on the internet that will put these cycles up and they put it in other people's heads that this is what pros are using. Two grams of this one. They'll put like uh, Andres Munzer's death cycle on the internet or something like that. And you'll see these things and they're just these young guys that don't really know any better see that and they think, oh, they're all doing two grams. And it's just not the case, man. It I mean, seems there's, 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 go ahead. I was just going to say, it seems that like from the conversations that I've been having that like what you're saying is very much in line with what most people who are actually successful and sustain like success for a long time are doing. And then the people who, that are like super blasting it like crazy usually have health 
you know, side effects and have to stop, or they, they don't really get to that point because you can't do that for like 10, 15 years. And what I've realized is that it's really more about the time than the amount acutely. And everyone wants to know the cycle on a piece of paper in front of them on the screen, but they don't want to think about 10 years of right. a gram of test. You know what I mean? Like 10 years on a gram is different than 16 weeks on four grams. Well, it's like if someone offered you a million dollars cash and they said, we'll give you a million dollars cash right now, or we'll give you $10,000 cash a month for X amount of time until, well, I would probably go with the $10,000 a month, right? But because, and that's the same thing with drugs. These guys think they just pound, pound $1,500, $2,000 all in this. And, but you might blow up between now and three years, but that's why you see a lot of these guys fading away now is because their health problems are starting to come into play. And they, they blasted so hard, man. And I'd rather just take that slow and steady approach. And, you know, I started bodybuilding at 18. I turned pro at 32. So compared to some people, that's, all, you know, other than, you know, like John Meadows and Ron Partlow and guys that did it for a long time, you know, 14, 15 years is a long time of competing at a high level. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, mean, some, I see some guys turning pro at 21, 22 now. You're not doing, you're not turning pro at 21, 22 with low drugs. Now you, you will be a genetic anomaly and that you're a freak of nature, no doubt about it, but you're just, you're just not doing it that young, um, you know, with, with low dose drugs. It seems like it takes, it takes 10 years of I would seriously. Say 10 is, I would say 10 is like the minimum. Mm -hmm. Okay, cool. So I guess the next thing I wanted to ask you about was insulin. Um, just because it's such like a buzz thing now and everybody wants to know about insulin, how do people take insulin to gain size? Is that something that really has been a part of your regimen to grow muscle during contest prep? Do you use it? What kinds do you like? No, I mean, I've used insulin a, a multiple, multiple times, you know, but I don't think it's that it's definitely not the reason of my, for my, you know, size gain. Uh, I didn't start using insulin until probably 2014 and I just started doing that pre-workout and it was only pre-workout and I was using intra-workout drinks and it was like 10 I use and I use, I, I think insulin is good if you're like, if you're really lean, like if you're at a really good percentage body fat, like especially uh, post-contest uh, rebounding. I think it's fantastic. But if you start getting that body fat up, because I, I don't, I don't, I'm not lean. I'm not fat, but I don't, I'm not like 10% or 8%, you know, in the off season, I'm probably around 14, 13. And uh, because I don't use a lot of drugs and stuff, whenever I'm bulking up and I eat a lot of carbs. So when I use insulin in the off season, it just makes me softer and fatter. I don't, I don't get those, those uh, skin splitting pumps that people describe. Now, like during a rebound, I've, I've done it and got great results. And, uh, but I don't think it's a make or break by no means. Um, I've never had any uh, scares with it either. I don't, it's not as dangerous. It's dangerous if you, obviously we know what it can do to you, but as far as like things happening, I've never even came close to, I mean, you, you'll feel like a little hypo coming on. You're, you'll start to sweat a little more and your skin will kind of, change colors a little bit and get a little flush looking. Uh, but I've never really had any, any scares with it. 
So you basically use it like coming out of a contest on the rebound because you're really low carb for a long time. You're trying to just kind of fill back up, get those, you know, get that rebound done. And then after the rebound is done, you pretty much leave it out. Once you reach like a certain level of body fat during the off season, you cut it out. I won't leave it out completely, but like there, there'll be times, for example, like during the off season, um, if, if I feel like I've been eating a lot of carbs for a long period of time and I've kind of, my appetite's kind of down and I feel like I'm kind of insulin resistant a little bit, I'll start, I'll throw some in post-workout, four or five I use a couple of days a week to just try to help, you know, speed things up a little bit, give my pancreas a break and uh, just, just try to shuttle this stuff a little better. And I don't even know if that really works because I don't do it consistent enough, but I haven't done it to gain size in since the off season before I turned pro. So I haven't last year I didn't compete. I didn't even touch it the whole year. I haven't touched it and it's only January, but I haven't touched it this year. Cool. So it sounds like it's like a tool that you may use in a certain situation if you need to shuttle carbs more, but it's not a part of your stack. No, it's not, you know, now some guys will do, you know, 40, 50, 60 units a day of it, which is crazy. But um, I've always, I think I've, the most I've ever done is probably like, I've done, I think 30, but it was always, it was like 15 and 15, you mm -hmm. know, pre and post and stuff like that. So I always try to keep it around the pre and post. And I, I never done like the, uh, the human R where I would wake up and eat breakfast and do it with that. And I did it like six hours later at lunch. And then I never did that whole thing. I always did the pre and post one. So we're just talking about Humalog then, the fast. Humalog or Novalog, yeah. Okay, cool. And do you time GH with that at all? Like, or I'll do the GH with it, like, because I train usually train in the morning around eleven. So I would do my GH like when I woke up, uh, fasted, and then I would eat breakfast, and then I would do the insulin before the pre-workout meal, mm -hmm. and then I would train, and then I would do the insulin and GH post-workout and then eat. Do you take the GH like 30 minutes before the insulin? Because I heard that like you want to, not, not exactly 30, but I did it before. Yeah. Okay. Seems. Yeah. So, I mean, I appreciate that. That's, that seems to be kind of what I've heard is like the best way to do it. Um, so I appreciate you being so honest about it. Cause honestly it's in, I feel like people are so confused about this kind of stuff and it ultimately is a lot more simple than people make it out to be. It's like it's it's bodybuilding kinda... is the most simple sport there is as far as like what you have to do. Like you obviously have to have the potential and the genetics and the work ethic, but like it literally is as simple as chicken and rice and testosterone. Like that's, that's as simple as it is. If people think these other pros are doing things and they're just not, they're just genetic freaks. Yeah. They probably are, you know, they probably got a few tricks that you don't know about when it comes to drying out for shows and, diuretics and things like that and some of these coaches know a few things but overall it's just it's the same stuff man what do you think about like kind of the influx of a lot of science coming in right now and and people always trying to tweak things and find the best ways to do things reinventing the wheel like peptide SARMs and different timings for all this stuff different nutritional things that we did before like what do you think about all that new information coming in do you think it's it's useless or or do you think that there could be some legitimacy in the future of it changing? I think I, I honestly, me personally, don't pay attention to it because the, the what I look at is like the successful people, 
but the big name guys that people look up to the, the coaches and the pros, they don't do that stuff. You know what I mean? You just see these other guys online. that are trying to make a name for this stuff and make money and get followers. They're posting this stuff up. Like it's so scientific, but then you look at a guy trying to tell you how to make your arms bigger breaking down every angle and mechanic and he's got 16 inch arms and <laughs> then he'll make the argument that well someone will say well ronnie coleman didn't do that and then he'll say well ronnie coleman was a genetic freak and he didn't have to do that you know but you know that's always their 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 go-to line is that i'm not a genetic freak well then your arms still aren't big and you're doing you know what i mean so it's like <laughs> why should we listen to you I, don't, I mean it's just people like that they just keep I think they're just trying to get attention and, and make some money. Well, I think that right now with social media, there's a monetary incentive to make as many videos and as much content as you can possibly make. So the more the in, in bodybuilding, like you said, is so simple. So the more you can talk about the same bicep curl, the, the more videos you can make about how to train your arms, the more ad revenue you can get, the more eyes you can get on your business. And it's really boils down to like a marketing kind of thing. They're just looking for new angles to approach it at and i'm just trying to figure out like what's actually the best way to to do it so that i can go you know off this call tomorrow and just do the things that actually work and and with my clients tell them what actually works and just try to do it over and over again like whenever somebody talks to me and especially like on a client intake or whatever i'm always like are you willing to do the same thing every day because if you're not like it's then it's that i don't really have anything to to, to tell you um, and it seems like you're kind of saying the same thing. So I guess my next question for you would be like, I've heard you talking about that you, you like got into this routine where you've started to feel like very OCD and that everything needs to be done at the same time and all the meals need to come in and stuff like that. Like, do you think that what you were going through was like OCD that you already had, or was it something developed through like doing a pattern repeatedly? Like, what do you think about balance in life and bodybuilding? And how would you recommend that somebody kind of avoid falling into the trap of feeling like they, that bodybuilding is running their life as opposed to adding to it? Um, I, I don't think I am personally OCD, but with my schedule, in my head, I felt like that was the way I had to do it. I felt like if I don't do it this way, someone's going to be doing it. You know what I mean? Like, so I would never miss a meal. I would, you know, I would eat at the same time. Now I'm a lot more relaxed about it. I still eat all my meals, but if I'm supposed to eat at 12 and it's 1245, I'm like, it's no big deal. As long as I get it in before I go to bed at night, I'm okay with it. So, um, but you know, I think had I not done it that way, maybe I wouldn't have made it where I'm, you know, how far I made it. Um, so who's to say what, what's right or wrong. But when I look back on it, I, I'm very, you know, I, I'm aware that it, you know, it's, it's kind of like aggravating for the people around you and everybody, you know, all my friends and family, they're all used to me. They, you know, I, I'm not a diva. I don't make it, but like, I don't make it hard on anyone, but you know, I definitely like to, even, even now it's still, it's still hard for me to like, I'm always going to make sure where are we going? Oh, okay. I'm going to bring a meal with me. You know what I mean? And I look forward to the day. I don't think that way. It, it's definitely, you know, even if I have a cheat meal, like th that one cheat meal 
like makes my day so much better because that's one meal I don't have to cook or heat up in the microwave and sit there and, you know, force down. It's just like, it gives me a two or three hour window of like pure relief of <laughs> not worrying about this meal. You know what I'm saying? Cause when you eat the same meals every day, you definitely get tired of them. So, um, I, I think people definitely need balance, but I would always encourage even guys that I help today. I, I still, I still like to think that to doing it as kind of militant as possible, um, is never going to be a bad option. Don't, that doesn't mean don't, you know, go to your sister's graduation or whatever, you know, still, still be a good friend and a, and a good spouse or whatever and a good family member. But like, but, but don't, don't, you don't have to be an asshole about it. You don't have to make it, you know, I can't go cause I got to work out. If you got to work out, go work out a few hours earlier or later. You know what I mean? Like don't, don't ruin things for it. That's all I'm saying. So you think that, you could make good results if you even still like having a little bit of flexibility. What do you think about like eating two meals at the same time? Like if I, you know, if you have to leave the house for like five, six hours, like instead of eating six ounces of chicken and, and a cup and a half of rice, you just eat all 12 ounces and three cups of rice at once and go. Do you think that that would make a big difference? No, what I would do is if, if that was the case, I would just make a, I would make something like, to take on the road with me, like a shake and like, you know, some, I would probably put some oatmeal in a, in a shaker cup with some protein powder and then, and then grab a, some almonds or a, a tablespoon of peanut butter and throw it. And then just like, I'm, I'm still going to get calories and, and nutrients and it may not be what I want, or you could make the whole 12 ounces of chicken and 600 grams of rice, put it in one giant bowl and just say, as long as this bowl is gone within five hours, that's my two meals. You know what I mean? things like that. There's always ways to work around it. You don't have to, you know what I'm saying? So in terms of nutrition, I, I guess that kind of brings up a question for me. Like, do you believe in super high carb, um, like medium protein, low fat, or like, what do you, I guess my question is, what do you like to do with the fats? Do you add fats? Do you add olive oil, like uh, avocado, stuff like that? Or do you mostly just eat very high carb and let the fats come from like steak and eggs and stuff like that? I, I let the fat come from the food, but I also will add some like macadamia oil to um, my chicken meals and stuff like that. Most for the fat, but also for just to make it not so dry. And I'll put it on after it's already made. I'll just drizzle it on in the bowl. But like my, I eat whole eggs every day. I eat, um, I eat red meat twice a day and I eat uh, peanut butter once a day. So I've got a pretty balanced amount of fats in there but I, i'll use the macadamia oil i'm not a huge like i don't use a, a huge amount of fats but I, I definitely think protein needs to be at least you know 1.5 at least two grams of per pound and then the carbs is you know I, i'm definitely a higher carb guy uh lower fat and higher protein so two grams per pound so for not you not for me not for me oh, not now okay. but like <laughs> I think it's so I, I'm okay. Like I've done like 500 plus grams of protein a day. You know what I mean? But do you feel that that helped? Do you feel that there was any benefit to going so high like that? Well, when I was, like I said, when I was younger, I, uh, I, I ate anything with high protein and I, I did get very, you know, soft, but I, I got very big too for my age. Um, and so I'm not saying like right now, I, I, there's no way I could eat 10 ounces of chicken. There's just, I can't do it. I could probably, my limit's probably eight. And, uh, 
I, I'm just not a big protein eater now, but so my meals are there. They, they go to higher than eight and, uh, but I'll have like 70 grams of whey, you know, twice a day. And then I'll have, you know, the whole eggs and then the egg whites and stuff like this. The protein's definitely covered. So I don't think it's as necessary for me now. Um, but for the younger guys coming up, you know, I think they need, you know, you're not going to, if you're trying to get to 300 pounds, you're not going to want to eat six ounce servings of meat. You know what I mean? Well, a lot of people say that, you know, six ounces is enough. Like I listened to a podcast with Patrick Tour on uh, the Fuad's podcast and he was talking about lower protein so he could take the carbs up higher and like he doesn't have guys eat really more than six ounces even like his really big guys Mm -hmm. like James and Ian and stuff like that it just seems like the modern day approach is take the protein lower and increase the carbs a lot which I haven't really heard that until the last like one or two years people started to say that yeah um I don't know so I just was just curious as to your opinion I know the old school approach is like you know, Chad Nichols and stuff like that, just eat as much protein as you can, 10, 12 ounces, as much as you can fit in, especially if you're trying to grow. Um, I don't know. I can't, I also can't really stomach 10 ounces. And I feel like even after eating eight ounces for a while, it's like, you just start to get more like acid reflux and it really just starts to slow everything down. So. Yeah, I I agree. I don't, I'm not a big protein eater anymore, but I I do think it helped get me to that size. Um, And Matt Jansen helped me not help me, but he, he originally got me eating lower protein because where he counted, you know, the nutrients from everything else. So if you got two cups of oatmeal, that's almost like 16 grams of protein right there. So to go along with, you know, so once I was working with Matt, I definitely ate less protein per ounce and I've kind of carried that over until now. So I'm definitely eating the least amount I've ever eaten as far as ounces go. So I think a lot of guys listening to would be curious, like, I know you worked with a lot of big name coaches. You, you, you mentioned Matt Jansen, Shelby Starnes, uh, I think Chris Aceto, right? No, and I worked with Andrew, Andrew Vu. Andrew Vu. And then John Meadows. And John Meadows. Okay. So those are all, you know, well-known guys. What, what really is the difference would you say with like working with those top tier coaches? I'm sure people would be curious, like, what do they bring to the table that, maybe like a, you know, a random local coach wouldn't be able to, to do. I mean, they just, they've got their eyes are very, they're very experienced. You know, John's obviously 50 years old, almost he's 46 or seven, you know, and Shelby, he doesn't coach men anymore, but Shelby, they know what to look for, you know, when getting someone in shape for, for a competition, you know, Um, Matt's worked with a number of Olympians and, and top level guys, same with Andrew. And uh, they just got, they've got experience in, 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 in the eyes, man. The eyes is everything. They, they know what they're looking for. That's, that's the difference. You know, you'll see a guy at your gym and he may be coaching people or, and he'll, he'll tell you someone, oh man, he looks, he's a freaking ripped. And then you'll see the person he's talking about and he's soft. And you're like, you get this different level of, uh, oh, I can't think of the word, but once you see different level physiques for so long, you kind of, think everything less than that is, is nothing. So them guys looking at what they've looked at for so long, they know what they know what to look for. And the difference is just experience to make it short. But, you know, I think if you, you know, how can you really know what to to tell a guy if you've you've never done it? So you've done it with hundreds and hundreds of clients and then the results are there for you to see on all their pictures uh, 
and that's how it came to be with 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 all of them would be uh, from shelby his pictures on i was like facebook or something i would always see his clients they're always ripped and i'm like this guy's smart you know so i hollered at him and then from shelby i went to john because just for workouts i only went to john for workouts but john offered me a really cheap price for workouts and training or uh, workouts in prep so i was like i mean i wasn't under contract with Shelby, my, my time ran out and my money, it was, it was expired. So I was like, well, this is a sick deal. So I went with John. And then when I was prepped by John, I was friends with Matt Jansen on Instagram and I would see all his stuff. And it just, for whatever reason, it just, it resonated with me. And I, I just knew I had a feeling, you know what I mean? So then I saw him at a contest that I went to and I introduced myself and we became friends. And then I, from John, I just went to Matt because I just had that gut feeling. And, and that's how it went every time. I, I left no coach for another coach for no other reason other than just trusting my gut. Matt's one of my best friends to this day. I, I would do anything for Matt. Uh, but I didn't leave Matt because uh, I hated him or we, we weren't friends. I, I just had this gut feeling about Andrew. And I was obviously right because he got me second place and turned me pro in two tries. So it was just a feeling, man. With with every coach, they all played their the role. I learned something from every single one of them, you know. And and that's just how it went. I wasn't just coach hopping. It was just it was just going with my gut. So when you're looking for a coach, what you're looking for at your level is like, can this guy make the the final adjustments and the tweaks that that I need in a contest prep to really bring me in with that extra 15 percent? Not really like, can this guy help me tread down or build mass, whatever. You already know how to do that. But you're just looking for that extra kind of little bit, right? It was always the competition because with every one of those coaches, except for John, um, John was the first one to ever do my off season. The first person I, I had, you know, I have almost like a bit of an ego about my off season. I got, I'll let you help me get peeled, but I want to be the one who build who built this house. You know what I mean? So no one sent me workouts. No one, you know, did my diet. Like me and Matt would talk and I would send him my pictures and diet, but, and he would make adjustments to my off season and, and stuff like that. But, um, but for the most part, it was always me, you know what I mean? And I really just needed help. I just wanted to, I knew if I got right on stage, then I would be okay. I was just waiting for that day. And so each one of those guys was, was only for, for the end result on, on the stage. That was it. So what, what a lot of coaches are saying nowadays is like, don't, you know, don't hire me just for a prep, like hire me for the off season because I need to learn your body and and get you into a prep. Do you think that there's any merit to that? Do you think that it helps when a coach does your off season and then your prep, or do you think that they know enough where it doesn't really matter? No, I think there's definitely merit to that. Um, it, It just, for me, it was, um, I knew I was going to never miss a workout, never miss a meal. So, and, and then if I'm sending you pictures, obviously you have the, the, the other set of eyes that can help me like, okay, you're, you're doing good, but let's bump the calories up a little bit. You can make that call. Like, oh, I'll, we, we'll, we'll do it together. We'll agree. And, and that's how me and Matt were like, and Vu, Vu, uh, he just prepped me for the show the first time. He never did my off season, never. And then he got me peeled. And then, going into the second show he did the same thing he just did my prep only and he he just i just knew i just had a gut feeling about it that's all and but i I definitely think there's definitely a benefit to it for sure 
for some guys, but some guys just don't need it. You know what I mean? Because some guys, they want to just do their own thing. I want to go in the gym and, you know, my elbow might be hurting today or whatever. So I got to make that adjustment while I'm there. I can't, your, what you ever send me on your email is not, is not always going to be what's, what's possible for me to do today. You know what I mean? Gotcha. Yeah, that makes sense. Like sometimes you don't, you don't want to feel like accountable to someone else when you feel like you really know what you're doing. So it's like, why am I going to go check in with someone and have them like, okay, stuff when I, when I, I want to be the one who makes the decisions kind of thing. I get that. And I'm and not I, saying I'm the smartest guy in the world, but because I recently just texted Matt last week asking him if he would send me some workouts because like lately I've just been in a slump with no lack of intensity or nothing like that, but just going in the gym and just being like, what am I going to do today? Like, I know it's back day, but you know, tomorrow, tomorrow's back day. I know that, but I don't know what I'm doing tomorrow. So when I get there, I, and I've always kind of been that way, but here lately it's been, it's been like worse than it's ever been. So you know, it doesn't matter in my mind. It's like, if tomorrow's back day, that's cool. As long as I work back hard. Right. So I'll be okay. And that's how I've kind of always done it. But, but now I just kind of want some, a little bit more structure. And, and I, and I asked Matt to help me with, uh, with some training. So I can just go in there, read the thing and hit it and get it and get out. You know what I mean? Not think about anything. So obviously, you know, everyone knows that progressive overload is super important in training. Like you have to increase the weights that you lift over time and you, obviously lift like I've seen some of your videos where you lift heavy poundages right um how did you build up your strength to the point that it was without like a super regimented workout did you do, do you just as you feel like you increase the weight you just increase it over the years or have you ever kept a log or you know I've never I mean? kept a log I thought you know I thought about that a couple months ago like how how did I get stronger and bigger without ever actively like practicing progressive overload um but but i'm just kind of like like if when you watch like an, an old ronnie coleman dvd or jay cutler like i, I have them all and in branch ward and, and marcus rule the old guys like you'll watch them they'll do a set of incline and they'll put one plate on two plates three plates four plates five whatever and that's progressive overload right in, in a sense and and that's kind of how i've always been so if i go today and i do chess and, and 315 feels way better than 315 usually feels, then I have, I have no fear of going up and I'm not a what if guy. So it's like, cause I'm, I'm, I'm a big one numbers as far as like, if I can do something 15 times, obviously I can go up. So if I'm hitting 315 for 15, mathematically, I'm probably like, I can hit 405 today. You know what I mean? So it's, it's always been like that. It's always been like, however, the last set goes determines how the next set goes. And if you feel good, roll with it. And if you don't just roll with that. And that's how I've always been. I've always gone up if I could. And I've always maybe left one or two reps in the tank so I could go up on the next set. So you train basically like it's always been intuitive, like based on yeah. how you feel based on it. So when you go up in increments, is it always a plate? Like, will you ever throw like a five on be like, usually okay. not, <laughs> usually not. It's always 25s and 45s. Um, you know, and, and as stupid as that sounds, let's say you're doing three, again, back to the bench press, let's say you're doing 315, right? So obviously 315 looks cool because it's 345s on each side. But for whatever reason, those little uh, fives on each side makes it just look not as cool, <laughs> right? Even, but it's 325, so it's technically it's more weight, but it just, for whatever reason, those little fives just kind of throw that whole thing, like the aesthetics of that 
bar off in my head. So I'm like, it's like if I can get 315 for 10, then I can definitely do 365 for six or, you know, five. And, that, and that's just kind of how it's always been. I've never, I, and I'm not against the fives and stuff like that, but there's just, yeah, I, I mean, that's an old school mentality. I don't know. But we, you know, on certain exercises, there's just a rule when I was younger, it was just like we only use 45s and 25s. I'm not putting a five, I'm not putting a five on a leg press or, or a hack squat. You know what I mean? If, if I got 495 on the bar and I want to hit 500, 500, I'll put the two and a halfs on, right? But other than that, no, I, I, but I'm not saying that's wrong. I'm just saying that's just kind of that old school mentality that we were kind of brought up with. I think it's interesting, though, that you're, you're, approach to diet is so strict and regimented that you eat the same thing every day, the same quantities every day and stuff like that. But then when it comes to training, it's just like, you know, we just, I just go in and kill it and you know, when it's enough, you know what I mean? And same thing with the cycles and stuff. You just like, I don't know, I feel like putting this up. I feel like, you know, this works is working better than this kind of thing. But the food is like the only thing that it seems like, is very like track. So, so what percentage would you say, like, if you had to break it down, like, would you say that the diet is the most important thing? Cause that seems like something that you really put the most attention to. Um, I would, well, with the training again, it, it was, it was the fact that I knew that I was going to work hard on whatever I did. Right. So even though tomorrow is back then, I don't know what I'm going to do tomorrow. I know what exercises that, I get the most out of on back day. So those exercises, whether it's a, a low row or a high row or a, a T-bar or whatever, I don't know what order they'll be in, but I know that what I'm going to do as far as I'm going to hit the low row tomorrow. I just don't know when. So I'm still very good at that exercise, right? I'm still very strong at it. And I'm aware if I got four plates on it last week and four plates on it this week is easy, then I'll definitely put five plates on it. So there's still a little bit of sense of structure there. It's just not as detailed and with the diet, but for whatever reason with the diet, I guess it was always the fear of being either one small or two fat. So the training I knew was going to be covered as far as just work ethic. And I figured if I'm in here busting my ass, I'll be okay. My chest is going to, the fibers in my chest are going to be torn down, whether it's from an incline or from a hammer strength, it doesn't matter. The, the chest is going to be broken down by the time I leave this gym. You know what I mean? With the heaviest amount of weight possible for that day and with the most intensity possible for that day. And that's just the way I looked at it. And I think if you look at it kind of that way, it's really not a bad way to look at it. I, I think that when, you know, when I was younger training, like when I was just training naturally, like first few years before I started to think like, you know, I want to take this more seriously. That's always how I did it. But then when you get online and you start to do all this research and people start to really tell you about like progressive overload and, oh, make sure you have like an extra, you know, micro plate on every single time you can never do like, like I got into like the JP stuff and like I read Menser and Dorian and they, they're very much, I mean, I'm sure that they weren't progressively overloading with micro plates, but you start to feel like you're doing something that's more like intelligent and scientific. And I feel like that can also motivate you. It just really depends like, what kind of gets you off like if you like to be hardcore you like to be scientific at the end of the day it doesn't really matter as long as you break down the muscle like you said um so i think ultimately it's it just comes down to whatever works for the individual whatever works for you and but you could also argue that the guys that preach 
progressive overload are not always the best bodybuilders. Successful wise on stage. Um, and you know, so how do you, how do you, how do you argue those two things? You know what I mean? Like Phil Heath is obviously the gift and Sean Roden and, but watch Sean Roden work out. It's a joke, you know? <laughs> so watch Dexter Jackson work out. It's a joke. Um, so it, it then you got guys like JP, who is just a freak of nature, the strongest guy there is probably, and who's built just insane amounts of muscle, but not the best on stage bodybuilder. And you know, Dusty Henshaw. Uh, you know, what I mean, you could you could mark you know argue it with with different people, uh, but doesn't mean they're not good bodybuilders. It just means arguably the ones who our big advocates of progressive overload are usually not the best bodybuilders. So how many, wise. so how many sets, like, like how many sets do you usually do before you you're like, fall? okay, I'm done with this workout. Like, is it hard to decide when it's over? If you no, have a I lot know, of I know. Yeah. Like I did legs yesterday and I was like, we were doing uh, Bulgarian split squats and it was the end of the workout. And he's like, we're we doing, we, we, we just done the third set and he was like, we're doing one more. And I'm like, no, I'm done. That was it. <laughs> I could just, my legs were shaking and I've done hack squats and leg presses already and leg extensions. And by the time I got to the Bulgarians, I was done. I, I can just tell by the way I'm breathing, my shirt's disgustingly drenched and, you know, my legs are locking up on me as I walk. So I could, you know what I mean? It's just, a, it's just an instinct. And then I know by the, by the way, my weight's moving and, and the amount of weight I'm lifting, you know what I mean? I think it's tough to recommend that though to, to people, because I feel like even for me, it's like, if you tell me, you know, train, train as hard as you can, just do as many, you know, sets as you can with the exercises that, you know, work well for you with as much weight as you can. I don't think I'm going to go as hard as you will, because I just don't have that same intensity. You know what I mean? Because I just haven't been doing it long enough. I just don't understand like my body in that same way that you do after having 10 years experience versus like five years, you know what I mean? So I just feel like, or I mean, you have way more than 10, but I just feel like, you know, for people, it helps to understand like how many sets that is, you know, what the weights and reps look like. So how many sets would you say that you usually like, you know, a range that you usually do before you walk out of the gym, like eight to 10 or 15? I would say, I would say actual sets. It'd be like eight to 10 to 12 working sets yeah because i won't i won't count like 135 225 mm -hmm. if i'm if i'm doing bench press it is the very or, or it is the very first exercise of my chest workout and, and let's say i can do back when i was my strongest I, okay we'll say incline i could do 405 for you know six to eight depending on how just how i felt on that day so anything up until 405 did not count it was just me warming up but if you look at, if you're sitting there in the gym, I've been doing incline for 30 minutes, you know, but, and I've probably done seven sets in someone's mind, but if I'm just doing four or five for two sets and, but on, but by the time I'm done warming up and my two sets, it looks like I've done eight sets. I've only done two, but after I've done those two, my next exercise, I'm already warmed up. So say it's like an incline dumbbell fly. I'll do one set just to test it. And then from there I'll go, right to my heaviest set and there's one set maybe two and then so you're looking at four sets right there with two exercises and it just keeps going down as the exercises go on 
So you always work up to the heaviest weight for as many reps as you can. You're not going to do like, you know, three sets with 365. No, if I can go up, I will. Okay, always. Gotcha. And, and, and progressive overload, I'm not against it. I've done it. I, I, I train progressive overload in the sense. Just, yeah. I just, it's just not tracked. You know, I'm always aware of what I, and I don't, I don't, the thing about me compared to a full progressive overload person would be like, I don't track dumbbell curls or rope press downs or leg extensions. I track um, things I care about, like, like tomorrow's back day. So I love the low row. I, I know how many plates and how many reps I do on the low row. I, I know on the, on the high row, I know on, on the Smith machine barbell row, you see what I'm saying? So I don't care about the rope, the rope pullover or the hyperextension or anything like that. I care about maybe three or four things. If even that on certain, like on legs, all I care about is the hack squat and the leg press. I don't care about lunges or anything like that. Lunges could be body weight one week. It could be a hundred pounds on my back the next week. It just depends on how everything's feeling my back, my knees. I just care about the hack squat and the leg press. Okay. Yeah. That makes perfect sense. I mean, I think it really, it really has a lot of value to understand how somebody at a high level thinks about training and kind of the philosophy that they have behind it, not just kind of the sets and reps, because if you say, Oh, I do two sets and I do four or five doesn't really mean anything to me. You know what I mean? Cause I can't do that much weight. And I, I want to know how you built up to that, how you, you know, cool down from that and, and all that stuff. So I think that's, that's very comprehensive. Um, the next thing I want to ask you about is like just kind of your life more, surrounding bodybuilding. So I know you've been bodybuilding for a long time. You said since you were like 18 or whatever, how is it like, when did you decide that you wanted to make bodybuilding a part of your like life in terms of career and stuff like that? I know that you're a personal trainer. How did bodybuilding affect kind of like the financial or career wise part of your life? Um, I never like, I never planned on turning pro. That was never even a thought in my head until I won the state show in my, in my state and I was 2014. And to me, that was Mr. Olympia. That was the greatest thing on earth. I wanted to have that ring that like you get a big ass ring when you win the state championship, like a, like a college football ring or something. And you're, you're the, you're the guy. And, uh, so once, and, and me and Matt Jansen did that show together. So once I won that, it was like everything changed for me. I had everyone was messaging me and you should go to North Americans this next next month. You're already you look awesome. You're already in shape. And just the feedback was so like positive from people I respected on like Facebook and stuff, different bodybuilding groups that we were in at the time. And um, when Matt was posting my pictures and stuff. So it made me believe that I was capable of it. Right. So then we started getting ready for 2015 North Americans. That was the goal. And I always wanted to do North America because Dallas was from my city or my state and he won it. And it was just, I don't know, whatever reason it was, I was like, I wanted to win that show too. He won it, I want to win it. And uh, so that was just my show. But until then, it never was a thought. And in the financial and the making a career out of it just kind of happened just by, because you put so much time into it, you kind of just kind of fall into it. Like I've always had jobs. Like, you know, I worked at Pepsi and I worked at a, at a jail and, and things like that the whole time I was getting ready for all these shows. So, and then I kind of fell into personal training because an opportunity came up at a, at a gym in my town and uh, a, a guy left and I, I took his spot. And uh, 
one, but I'll say this, once I got into that kind of a job and I could make my schedule and, and eat whenever I, you know, I wanted to and, and sleep whenever I wanted to and not rely on a, a boss. So to, I mean, I had a boss, but she was cool. But once I, I got that job, things started going way better for me because I just had this schedule and I was already at a gym so I could train and eat, you know, according to however I wanted. So it, it was never a plan to be a pro or to be in this position. But like I said, you just do it. So you once you, you just kind of fall into it, and it's what you know, and it's what you're kind of good at. You just kind of stick with it. What drove you to keep wanting? Like, if you weren't really looking for the pro card and stuff, I mean, I guess the Tennessee show was on your radar. But like, what drove you to keep wanting to push yourself, eat the same thing every day, never deviate? You know, put all this investment in it. Like, where did that drive come from? Did you just want to be like a mass monster or like, did you have someone you really looked up to? Like what really motivated you to keep consistent? I just always wanted to be like good at something. Like when I was in high school, I was really obsessed with basketball. I still, basketball is still my number one love. I'm not obviously good enough to do it on a professional level or even a college level, but it's still my, my, my thing. So whenever I put so much time in, with basketball in high school, um, I would shoot for hours a day. Wouldn't go inside till I made a thousand shots, just ridiculous things that I would do and not get the, uh, reap the benefits of my hard work because, you know, players who were better than me or coaches just had in their mind, their rotations and whatever, just when I, I fell into bodybuilding through basketball from reading a flex magazine that I found in the gym. Um, and, and uh, I wanted to get bigger for basketball. So going to the gym for basketball, I fell in love with bodybuilding by being there. And then once I kind of figured out how bodybuilding worked, made me want to do it. And I, I saw a guy from my gym do a show and I had been training pretty hard for about a year. And I was a teenager and the teenagers came out on stage and I saw the teenagers. Right. And I was just motivated by them. I'm like, damn, I could beat these guys right now, probably, or hang with these guys. And I'm a teenager. So that's kind of how I got into it. And then being kind of successful at it, like getting second place at my first teen show out of like 12 teenagers or however many it was, and arguably could have won that class. It could have gone either way. I'm like, all right, I can do this. You know what I mean? So then going to the next show, I won my second show. I won the novice heavyweight division at 19. I beat some 40-year-old men or something. And I'm like, okay, you know, it feels good to, to, to reap the benefits of your, of your work. So it's probably just the, the, the being always been obsessed with people who are great. Like uh, Kobe Bryant is number one for me, uh, Michael Jordan, and then uh, Dorian Yates, just people that were just driven by whatever goal it was and then made themselves be like the best at it. And I knew I could never be the best at something, but it would be like my level of satisfaction to be on some type of my, whatever my ceiling was, as long as I could reach that, I'd feel like some kind of success. Right. And so it was like, this is something that I can do on my own and, and possibly be pretty good at it. And I'm not the best by no means, but I'm the best where I live. And on some levels, that's good enough, right? And not that I care, I walk around bragging or anything like that, but it's just like, you know what I mean? It's just like, you've built yourself to do that. People respect you and, and they see you as that. So it, it was never for any, any fame or money. It was always for personal, just like a, a personal drive, I guess. And, and the pro just came from, 
from advancing level to level to level to level. I never thought I could be a pro, but I never thought I could win the state show. So it was just, I won an open division and the guy said, and it was a, my, my first show, the second show I did the open division, I, I won the heavyweight class. And the guy said, one of the judges said, man, man, you almost had it. You lost by two points overall. And I was like, what? I had no clue. I was like, damn, I almost won the overall of this show by two points. I almost won. So I was like, well, I know I'm good enough to win an overall. So I was like, now I want to win the state show. And then that's just how it went. And once I won the state show, I had all these pros on Facebook and all these high-level amateurs on Facebook commenting on Matt Jensen's post of me saying, well, he's a freak. He's this, he's that. I'm like, well, these guys think I look good. And, you know, Dante Tridell was commenting on my stuff. And he was, Dante posted my picture himself in 2015. And I'm like, damn, I must, you know, have a little bit of potential. And that's just how it went. You know what I mean? It was never, but it was never from day one, I got to be pro. It was never that way. I just did it because I loved it and because I wanted to be good at something. I'm, I'm so interested in, you know, that mindset, honestly, and people who think like you, that's why I wanted to have you on the podcast because it's like, I feel like it's, it's like a, it's like a rare breed, you know, it's like a lost, it's like a lost breed kind of like that type of person nowadays, especially with social media, everyone gets into something because they want a result they see the result first on social media and they're like, Oh, I want to be like this guy. Right. And then they kind of do that. It's never like nowadays, it's not like a process of like just getting into it. Cause you like it and you're validated by your local things that are going on, not Instagram, but just the guy down at the gym, yeah. you know, the, the girl over at the grocery store. And I just feel like it's lost today. You know, I'm, I'm young, I'm only 25, but I'm experienced that 10 years ago when I first got into working out just the validation of like being a good bodybuilder in your community. Right. That like really is a good feeling that I, and now with COVID and stuff like that, it's just so hard to get that. I'm like, I don't even train in a gym anymore because all the gyms are closed around here. And I just love the feeling of going into the gym and people know you at the gym. They're like, how are you doing? How's your diet? All this stuff. And yeah, that's why I'm trying to create like a community online where we can just talk about what we like to do kind of thing. But that, that's really interesting, man. So I guess that brings me to my next big, big, you know, money question for you. Like you did all that, you, you accomplished everything that you wanted to accomplish. What, like what's next, you know, how, how do you decide like what the next move is for Cade? Yeah, that's tough because I haven't quite found that yet. And I'm always like a goal driven person and I'm okay with just kind of being on autopilot, just, you know, I'm doing just fine. You know, I'm, I'm still working plenty and, and, uh, and having fun with my workouts and stuff. I'm still enjoying it. I'm just not stepping on stage one time a year. So nothing really changes about me or my life. So, um, but you know, I'm, I'm definitely not going to lie and saying I'm looking for that next thing to kind of give me that goal. And I've always said like, I love bodybuilding, but if something came along that, that I could love as equal as I love bodybuilding and, and just make me, that's all I cared about and, and worked towards. And I would be okay with that. But until then, I'm just kind of doing what I do and I'm sure it will, I'll figure it out. But, you know, right now I'm, I'm just chilling, man. I'm, I'm happy with it. Um, I don't know if I'll compete again. I'm not saying I won't, but you know, if you really break it down um, at this level and, and thinking the way that I think, I don't really see that much of a benefit to it just because like one, it's like, can you mentally 
can you mentally push yourself to what you what you know you're capable of knowing that you cannot possibly win you know what i mean and that's not being negative people are like well you don't know whatever could happen i'm like no i'm, I'm pretty positive that you know maybe i could get a top five or a top three but can i can i really go into the gym and, or the drugs and and, and do these things to myself because my mindset has changed because i've always believed i could win you know and and now i know that i can't so can i take it to that level i don't know so why why would i even want to try uh and and then have just a shit result and look like ass on stage or or hurt myself or make my health bad you know what i mean to get to to get what eighth place at at the indie pro you know and not and what get a, a uh, not even a check for a thousand dollars. Like, what am I going to do with that? So that's how I look at it. And I'm not being negative. I'm just being realistic. I, you know, I think, you know, that's, I, I think you could probably win some like, you know, random pro show somewhere down the line. I mean, I don't see why that wouldn't be the case, but I, I guess like, have you considered making goals in any other area of bodybuilding? Like I know a lot of bodybuilders obviously transition into being coaches or having a podcast or whatever. Like there's a lot of different ways to still be involved in bodybuilding Oh yeah, and, and do, and maybe even continue to do shows, but not, you don't, if you are bigger on social media, you know, a lot of people are big on social media. They do a show just because it gets them exposure, not because they're looking to win. They know they're not going to win. Mm -hmm. So it just adds kind of like another dimension to it. Have you ever considered like pivoting into a different area within bodybuilding? I'll never stop being involved in bodybuilding because I've put too much time into it and I've got too much knowledge into it with, I mean, in it. So, I, you know, if I, maybe this, one of my friends, he's got a lot of potential and you know, I, I enjoy helping people. I really do. I don't get jealous. I, if, if I helped you and you turned pro on your first show ever, or like, I wouldn't be jealous of you that it took me 15 years and it took you one try. Like, oh, I'd be happy for you. Like, I'm not a jealous person. So if I could do that um, and just and just help other people, but and just kind of lift, I'm still going to train. I'm still going to be big. And, you know, i got the look. It's not, I'm not going to just shrink down to, you know, 220. So it's like, I'm still going to be actively involved. I have the love for it. I just don't, what's the difference between me doing what I do now and just stepping on stage? You see what I'm saying? I'm still going to be actively in it, but I'll find it. And I, I enjoy helping people and prepping people. Maybe I'll get bigger into that and just kind of live vicariously through them. And I've always prepped people for probably 10 years now, but I've never made it like... I'm not a social media whore. I don't get on there and, and try to post a thousand pictures and, and get clients. I, I kind of just let them come to me. So we'll, we'll see what happens, but um, I still could compete. Who knows? I think that social media needs more guys like you, honestly, because the people that I see who are really pushing a big message on social are mostly the type of people that you really don't want to be listening to no. like the loudest voices right now in bodybuilding are the dumbest voices. Absolutely. And I'm just like, I just think that the, the difference is that, you know, people who have a big ego and are, and are really wanting to speak out and they just want attention and to put themselves out there, they're going to make like a million videos and they're going to claw and scrape to get those subscribers and to get those fans, get money in their pocket and whatever they're vultures, you know what I mean? But but then there's people like you who, you know, have been, have the experience, have the pedigree, have been training in a gym, you know, same gym, 15 years, like locked in. 
And these type of people are not posting, they're not talking on social, they're not um, getting their voice out as much as those other guys. So then young guys coming up like me need to do a lot of digging to find people like you. It's like, I only found you because you're on some like obscure, you know, thing that, I, and I'm like getting deep into it to try to understand the, the reality. But when I got into like, you know, the kind of, I don't know, social media slash competition slash whatever side of bodybuilding, like three years ago, the only people that I'm seeing are like, you know, I don't want to name any names, but you know, who's out there right now, putting out a lot of stuff yeah. that's dumb. So I just think that, you know, I mean, I'm not trying to make you do anything, but I think that social media needs more people like you in, in bodybuilding, just, just on a personal note. Um, the last thing I want to ask you about is I know you had a kid recently. Could you talk a little bit about like just having a kid, you know, being married and, and also doing bodybuilding? Because I know a lot of guys struggle with finding that balance. Has your mindset changed at all since you had a son? Uh, probably a little bit without me realizing it. You're definitely more probably a little more health conscious uh and like i said i never really pushed anything hard enough to where my health was compromised i mean i'll i'll send you my blood work when i do it and you can see it for yourself like i have nothing to lie about but i think it definitely probably makes you think a little bit more about your future um you know and you see you see guys like that have died fairly young matt porter and you know, Dallas and uh, a couple other guys like recently it's sad man and the older you get it hits you a little harder you know what I mean so bodybuilding is very good but it's also very it can be very dangerous done the wrong way chasing size and you know so um you know it's, it's changed me a little bit but um it's also about that time too for me. I mean, I've been doing it long enough to where it's getting close to you know how 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 much further you know do I have to go really? So it's like it, it definitely changes you, and I see that with my other friends who were super hardcore and they had a kid or something like that, and their mindsets have I can definitely tell they've changed too. When you when you started to kind of like I don't how how long have you been with your wife now? uh 18 years well oh, okay so she, that's just like dating and everything so she's always been cool with you being a bodybuilder and knowing that that comes first because i know a lot of guys struggle with the relationship aspect how, how do you balance how have you like kind of set the correct boundaries to balance like you know chasing this goal eating at a certain time going to the gym a certain time and and the relationship is there any tips that you could give guys to have better balance in terms of that um I mean, I'm always, I'm always home. So it's like, if, if I'm here and I'm eating chicken and rice, then what, what's the big deal? You know what I mean? So I, I don't, you know, I got to work out early in the mornings. So I'm, I'm always home all day. So I, I don't think I've ever been too bad about as far as like, you know, obviously I'm a little bit obsessive with, you know, the meal timing and it's probably stopped me from going to a lot of places and doing a lot of things, but you definitely got to have a, a balance. That's for sure. Uh, and, and I don't, I don't think I've been too bad about it, but I definitely could be better. What times, uh, like you're saying you eat your meals at the same times every day. What times, like, could you, could you tell me just cause I'm curious. 
Uh, 6 a.m. and then 9 a.m. and then 12. It's every three hours, three, six. And then though I pushed the last one back to about 10. So I, some meals, some, now some days I can go four hours, no problem. And if I can, I'm happy because that means I don't have to eat for an extra hour. So um, as long, like I said, but as long as I get them in every day, I'm, I'm totally okay with it. So, do you have like an alarm that goes off or something or are you just, no, I'm just always aware of the time, always aware of the time. Cause for me, I feel like sometimes like I'll get into work on my computer or whatever and a few hours will go by and I just forgot. And then I feel like I'm like, I just take a quick glance at the time, man. I'm just looking at you <laughs> right now. I knew I, I just, I'm always aware. It's just, it's just years of doing it. All right, man. I really appreciate you coming on. I think this is a good chat. You know, people could learn a lot about, obviously the drugs, training, diet, we even got into some life stuff. Yeah. So I, th- I I really enjoyed it. I'd love to have you on again sometime down the line to uh, catch up and see, you know, what, what you've been up to and what your next plans are maybe leading up to a competition, who knows, or whatever. Um, do you have any final words, anything you'd like to promote or uh, say to the people watching? I don't have anything to promote, man. Uh, just be safe and stay smart and don't, you know, don't always believe everything you read on the internet. So do your own research, try some things out for yourself, see what you think, but you know what I mean? Just be safe. Don't, don't rush everything. Just take your time, man. It's a, usually the guys that rush it are usually the ones that are the first ones out. So be patient. That's the number one goal. Be patient, be consistent. Do that. You'll be all right. For you too, everybody. You're only 25, dude. I mean, that's, you know, I'm, I'm 33, but I'm, you know, that's eight years, nine years. I'm getting ready to be 34. So it's a long time, man. So you can do a lot in five years. So by the time you're 30, I mean, Jesus, you can do so much. So from, from me from 24 to 30, or not even that, 24 to 28 was huge. So, you know what I'm saying? So you know, it, time flies, but also just be, just be patient. And if somebody wants to contact you for coaching, like where, what's the best place to reach out? Uh, you can do my Instagram or that's just my name, Cade Zook. And then email is k 2431 at gmail.com. Pretty easy to get a hold of. So if you want, that's it. It's, all, it's that simple. Okay. I'm going to pause there. I'm going to stop the recording now.